Fired Up show starts right now. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for downloading the Fired Up podcast. I do appreciate it. This is Steve, and I am your host each week as we deliver uh, these discussions on the political topics of the day and the mechanics behind them. Uh, We've got a lot to cover today, so we're going to get right into it. First off, as always, let's go through our COVID numbers. Uh, We are currently at 89.6 million cases. Uh, 1,024,000 people have died from the disease, and 596 million people have been vaccinated. Uh, If you've been following the news lately, you've no doubt heard that there is another variant of the Omicron strain of COVID-19 called BA.5, which is spreading out here in the United States. And uh, what we're learning about it is, number one, that this new variant, again, it's called BA.5, is much more contagious than prior variants of Omicron or the original version of COVID-19. Now, as with a lot of these uh, sub-variants that have come out over the last weeks and, and couple of months, one of the, the few positives are that they are less uh, deadly and life-threatening than their predecessors. However, they are much more contagious. So the CDC and World Health Organization, you know, doctors and scientists are saying in, in many areas of the country, we are going to be facing some more surges with this variant. And as a result, they are urging people to get up to date on their vaccinations and booster shots. And of course, to practice all of the masking and social distancing that we've all become so used to over the last uh, two and a half years. Uh, But again, this variant is much more contagious than others, even though the the rates of hospitalization and the rates of death are significantly lower than we've seen with other variants of the COVID-19 pandemic. So, you know, obviously, word to the wise, uh, let's make sure we've got to get back into our mask protocols. We've got to get back into our social distancing, uh, because even if you've had the, you know, a prior version of COVID-19 that does not protect you uh, greatly from this variant, you can still get sick. Uh, One of the things we've learned recently is that multiple trips through the COVID-19 Uh, problems uh, is something that is becoming more typical with these variants. So we will keep an eye on the progress of the BA.5 variant and the treatments for it, and we'll bring you the information right here on the Fired Up podcast as we learn it. So with that said, I really want to get into the subjects I want to discuss today. I've got quite a few of them, so we're going to need every minute of our, our hour today in order to get through them. Uh, The first one that I want to get into, and uh, this is following up on, you know, what has transpired with Supreme Court with the overturning or or with the affirmation uh, of the Mississippi case and the subsequent overturning of Roe v. Wade and Casey. Uh, There are several areas of the law that, as we've discussed in prior episodes, um, now that the Supreme Court has Uh, tested the process of attacking the rights to privacy under the 14th Amendment, that there are several other areas that they are looking at. Uh, One of them, uh, and this uh, is an article that was in The Atlantic, it's an opinion piece by Thomas Wolfe, and uh, he talks about uh, a case that could, in his words, blow up American election law. And uh, the article talks about how uh, the members of the Supreme Court's conservative supermajority Uh, just last week, took the next step in a little noticed but extremely dangerous project, and and that is attempting to jam into law what what this article called a radical misinterpretation of the Constitution's elections and electors' clauses, which, if successful, would create electoral chaos across the country. And uh, the article cites that before next summer and well in advance of the 2024 presidential election, the court could strip state courts and state constitutions of their ability to check and balance state legislators when they make laws for federal elections. 
giving partisan majorities near total control over how voters cast ballots and how these ballots are counted, and would make the current court, which already has a horrible track record on voting rights, the ultimate judge of whether the legislature's actions are legal. So to, to step out of the article uh, for a second and just kind of dissect that, uh, there's already been uh, attempts by uh, state legislatures around the country to limit or restrict uh, the, the rules and roles and authorities of the state elections uh, structures in these states, uh, notably taking away from secretaries of state certain powers and authorities they have over the counting and casting of ballots in their territories. Uh, what this would do is uh, federalize that process and you know, make uh, the, the federal rules, the rules of the land in terms of how uh, election results are, are cast, tabulated, and accounted for. Uh, so this appeal, according to the article, traces back to February when the North Carolina Supreme Court undid an extreme partisan gerrymander of the state's congressional map that would have given Republicans a large advantage in races for House seats. And uh, this came about from several Republican state legislators asked the Supreme Court to restore the biased map for this spring's primary elections. Their emergency filings claimed that North Carolina State Supreme Court didn't have the power to even review the legislatively drawn congressional map, despite the fact that the map violated several guarantees in the state's constitution, because, in their view, neither state courts nor state constitutions should have any say in how federal elections are run. Now, if you're familiar at all with election law, you know that while federal requirements for elections are set by you know, the national government in Washington, D.C., the mechanisms for conducting elections are handled by the states. So, you know, the, the idea that the federal uh, court is going to intercede in changing the role of how the states run the elections flies in the face of many areas of uh, uh, things in the Constitution that fall in the category of states' rights. And you're going to hear a lot in terms of arguments revolving around states' rights as we go through the uh, run-up to the midterm elections in November and then as we move forward to the general election in 2024. So what it said was that the theory of this, this law uh, was a crucial instrument for would-be election subverters hunting for any lever to overturn the result of the 2020 presidential election. It was a prominent talking point in President Donald Trump's public campaigns to undercut the validity of the results. Uh, in interviews following the election, President Trump himself invoked the theory, saying that the legislatures of the states did not approve all of the things that were done for those elections. And it was a key element of the litigation challenging which ballots should be counted in Wisconsin and Pennsylvania. So, you know, it, it, it's gone through the court and argued back and forth. Uh, the Supreme Court rejected these challenges in the fall of 2020, and that should have been the final word on the theory. But Justice Samuel Alito, joined by Justices Clarence Thomas and Neil Gorsuch, wrote a statement validating the theory in addition to dissents and concurrences to similar effect. They sent the theory back out onto the world with new momentum for a quick return. In doing so, these justices had, by the sheer power of their office, converted uh, nonsense, and that's quoted from the article, hastily cobbled together for desperate legal challenges into a litigation position that wouldn't lead to the lawyers getting sanctioned. And they emboldened the North Carolina, North Carolina gerrymanderers to try their luck with the U.S. Supreme Court after they struck down the North Carolina Supreme Court. So, you know, as I said in, in my prior podcast, uh, both you know, two weeks ago and last week, uh, this, this action is part of what is, looks like it is turning into a deconstruction 
of America consisting of peeling back or outright overturning rulings that have formed the basis for our electoral process uh, for decades. Uh, back in March, the court declined the legislature's emergency petition with an unsigned order, but Alito, again joined by Thomas and Gorsuch, issued yet another dissent that all but asked the Republican legislatures, lators, excuse me, to file a full appeal to put their gerrymander back in place after the 2022 elections. Uh, a concurrence uh, noted from Justice Brett Kavanaugh suggested much the same. The legislators obliged the lat just 10 days later with a petition to the Supreme Court citing Alito's dissent with its own meager citations as their justification. The court has now repaid the favor by taking their appeal up for argument. So uh, put a pin in that uh, last paragraph there because you are going to see this happen again and again and again. The Supreme Court is going to reject a proposal brought before it by uh, you know a red state and return it uh, with a note basically saying we can't do this the way you've written it rewrite it bring it back to us and we'll do what we can so you know the the idea here and and much of the discussion that has occurred in in the public media space over the last few weeks has been about the politicization of the Supreme Court and keep in mind the idea of the Supreme Court was to be an apolitical judicial body set in place to settle uh, arguments of uh, law, constitutional or uh, other uh, laws in this country in a nonpartisan fashion. But what we are seeing is a very partisan oriented court taking up cases and actually issuing what are essentially crib notes to the states. Uh, to to file cases that will test and allow them to make decisions on things that they would like to see change based on the political uh, landscape of the time. So uh, we will keep an eye on this. We will bring you additional uh, cases and uh, points of reference as we go forward. But it is really imperative that we keep an eye on you know what the Supreme Court is doing and be prepared to take um, you know, election action or you know, uh, apply legislative pressure to make sure that you know, these, these laws uh, that could drastically impact uh, how elections happen in this country. And you know, uh, again, you know, some of this is clearly set out by the Republican Party to kneecap the Democratic Party and those in opposition to Republican goals and ideals. Uh, but remember that, you know, what what sauce for the goose is sauce for the gander. This could very well turn around and become something that becomes a weapon uh, aimed at and you know impacting on Republican uh, concerns and things that they hold dear just as well. So, you know, we are are treading through some very uh, treacherous ground. And you know, we need to make sure that we are communicating with our legislators to make uh, them aware that, you know, these kind of changes that impact, um, you know, both sides, actually, because uh, these laws do not just, you know, take effect in red states. They are nationwide. So, you know, blue states are going to feel the impacts as well. So all the more that we need to make sure that we are doing you know, what we need to do to communicate the message we want to our elected officials. And just to be clear, uh, this is not something new. Uh, if you've listened to this show over the last two years, you've heard me talk about uh, the, the Republican Southern strategy and gerrymandering and what's being done in terms of securing these states to be under Republican control for many years, if not decades. Uh, simply as a way of cementing their power uh, in this country. Um, there's an article that talks to this point uh, in uh, Raw Story, and this came out on July 16th, and you can find it at rawstory.com. Uh, and it talks about, you know, the headline reads, 
uh, in this story uh, that came out on the 16th from uh, rawstory.com. Ultra MAGA sore losers parrot Trump by refusing to concede losses and it might get worse. Uh, so it, it you know talks about the fact that uh, President Joe Biden has been in office for almost 18 months, but Donald Trump has refused to accept defeat and continues to lie about election fraud, which is growing into a trend as his supporters continue to rack up election defeats. Uh, there's a quote by uh, Representative Ron Hanks uh, and uh, Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters in Colorado uh, said, and I quote, it was no shock that State Rep Ron Hanks and Mesa County Clerk Tina Peters handily lost their recent Republican primaries in Colorado for U.S. Senate and Secretary of State. The Associated Press has reported that. Hanks was outspent 14 to 1 by his rival. Peters, who was vying to become Colorado's top elections official, had been indicted on seven felony charges alleging she helped orchestrate a breach of her voting system's hard drive. But this past week, both candidates formally requested recounts of their primary elections from June 28th, suggesting widespread irregularities seen by no one other than their own campaigns and allies. Uh, Peters lost her bid to Pan Anderson, uh, who bested her by 14 percentage points. In her statement requesting her recount, Peters claimed to be speaking for many in Trump's MAGA base. I have reasons to believe extensive malfeasance occurred in the June 2022 primary and the apparent outcome of this election does not reflect the will of Colorado voters, not only for myself, but also for many other America First statewide and local primary candidates. Uh, Joanna Lingate of States United Action says it's an attack on democracy. Uh, she's quoted as saying, there's a clear reason they're doing it. And it, it's a much broader coordinated attack on the freedom to vote across the country, she said. Uh, continuing, really, what this is, is people who are sore losers, people who don't want to accept defeat. Uh, the story noted GOP candidates refusing to accept defeat in Georgia, South Carolina, and Nevada also. She says, the primary losers have an obvious role model, and that is Donald Trump himself. Uh, as noted by the AP, this year's post-primary election denial may be a preview for November when Republicans face Democrats in thousands of races across the country. The GOP is expected to do well, uh, an expectation that could set the stage for more false claims of fraud when some of those candidates lose. So the handwriting is being placed on the wall that we should expect you know, many more court challenges and public messages of, you know, election fraud and, and campaign tampering and ballot box problems and blah, blah, from, you know, Republican candidates who are not successful in their efforts to gain elected office. Uh, this looks like it is going to become a standard operating procedure for elections going into the future, both at the national level as well as down ballot into the state and local levels. Uh, again, the way that this is uh, uh, offset is twofold. Number one, it is for you know non-Republican voters, so Democrats, Libertarians, and, and anyone who is not a Republican, to come out and vote in the largest numbers possible to make the uh, victories as wide as possible where where Republican candidates lose. So it precludes really the, the taint of possibility that there was election tampering. Uh, if, if you have a race that is decided by, you know, three percentage points or five percentage points, uh, that is ripe for a, a candidate to cry foul, uh, raise a stink, drag it out, put it into the courts, uh, move it through the court systems and possibly up to the partisan Supreme Court where uh, things could uh, turn in the Republicans' favor. 
However, if uh, the Republican candidate loses by, you know, 15 or 20 percentage points, uh, you know, thousands and thousands of votes, uh, it is much easier to say, you know, I'm sorry, you lost, period, by substantial numbers. And, you know, you, you can't cry foul. There isn't and there isn't evidence of, you know, problems that big that would over overrule, you know, 25, 30,000 uh, vote difference in a statewide race. Okay, so uh, again, communicating with your legislatures is key here. We've got to stay on top of this if we want to make sure that our elections are uh, fair, that our results are uh, accurate, and that they are accepted. And this is regardless of whether you're a Democrat or Republican. You want the largest vote turnout you can get, and you want that turnout to be definitive. So we will obviously keep track of this, but as I say, you're going to see this more and more in races uh, all up and down the ballots and all across the country. And to intentionally sound like a broken record, um, as, I, as I've said in, in previous uh, podcasts and shows, uh, there are a number of uh, protections and, and privacy rights uh, and liberties that are granted uh, that are going to be under attack. And the you know, partisan Supreme Court has made it clear uh, in Justice Alito's uh, decision, uh, both the leaked version and the final version in the uh, case that overturned Roe versus Wade, uh, he made mention of several of these, including, uh, you know, possibly the right to uh, to have contraceptives, uh, the right for uh, inter uh, interracial marriage and uh, same sex marriages. Uh, so all of these are are targets on the wall for the Republican Party and this partisan Supreme Court uh, going forward. And if uh, Republicans gain control of the House and, and the Senate, uh, even if they don't gain control of the White House, uh, but particularly if they do, and you know, they're moving forward you know, after the midterms with you know, majority in Congress uh, and coming into 2024 looking like they are going to take the White House as well, this country is going to see an upheaval of political uh, things that and, and, and laws and rules that have been, you know, decided, you know, as we said, starry decisis for many, many, many years that are going to go the way that uh, Roe and Casey went uh, as these uh, cases come to the Supreme Court. And remember what I said at the top of the show in the first segment uh, that we talked about. Uh, the the Supreme Court uh, and its conservative majority isn't even hiding its cards. They are telling petitioners before them that, you know, what you have submitted is not sufficient. Go back, rework it, come back with a more solid case or find a case that solidly uh, brings to bear the point you want to make. And we will consider that uh, that is is unprecedented in the history of the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court is not supposed to be proactive. They are supposed to be the, the last and ultimate decider of how the laws as, as delegated under our Constitution and all of the subsequent writings that append to that are in fact addressed. They are not supposed to be telegraphing what they wanna see so that states can go out and find a case that proves that point so they can move it forward and bring it up before them. Uh, this is, is something that uh, every American should be deeply concerned about, and that includes uh, you Republican folks, because uh, it is you know, not always going to be this way, and these people are going to be on the Supreme Court for a very long time, and, you know, the day may come when they are going to turn on a case that you want to see, but uh, they are going to rule against you or against your interest uh, because of 
the nature of the law and and what they uh, hopefully uh, are, are going to follow in terms of their judicial duty. So, you know, if if we want to see a a democracy that looks like the America we know, we're going to need to make sure that our legislatures uh, up and down the line uh, are reflecting the will of the people. You know, and you know, just to remind you that uh, overturning uh, Roe was opposed by nearly 80 percent of the American people. So clearly this court went against the will of the people in making this decision. So you, you, you know, as a as a voter, as a member of the uh, electorate, you need to be asking yourself the question, uh, does my opinion even matter? And if they are making these kinds of changes at the state level with legislatures and how votes are tabulated, counted and processed, that becomes even more of a risk. Uh, you know, the, the scenario that, that's being painted out there is you could have a candidate in, in one state who is a Democrat and wins, and because the Secretary of State is no longer in authority to govern how the ballots are counted or how the electors are selected, a, a subsequent set of partisan electors can be put in place that would vote the partisan choice thus negating the the will of the people as expressed in their votes. I can't stress to you enough how dangerous that is. All right. So, you know, if if we take it to the extreme case, you know, so President Biden got, you know, eight million more votes than, you know, Donald Trump did in the 2020 election. He also got a uh, hundred and something more electoral college votes. If this process had been in place at that time, never mind the January 6th insurrection and never mind the attempt that was made by the Republican Party to do this. But let's just say for sake of argument that the the uh, state legislatures or, or the secretaries of state in the swing states that we've talked about so much and other red states uh, had the authority then to put forward their own set of partisan electors, uh, we would have a uh, president by the name of Donald Trump, uh, even though his popular vote was 8 million votes less than uh, the, the candidacy of uh, President Joseph Biden. So you, you have to see the danger that we are looking at here, that essentially through these actions, our votes, our wishes, our will on some of these major topics like same-sex marriage, like uh, equal education as they are, they are looking at Brown versus Board of Education as another case that they might consider overturning. These, this has been settled law for 60 years. All right. Um, as we look at, you know, uh, uh, same-sex marriage, the, you know, the the things that intrude into the privacy of our homes in terms of, you know, uh, how couples relate to one another and so forth. Uh, all of these things are now with big, bright targets painted on them. And we have to realize, and, and Republicans... You have to realize this as well, that you are not immune from the effects that these type of changes are going to bring to uh, the people of this country, regardless of political party. Ultimately, these chickens will come home to roost in Republican hen houses and will become uh, something that, you know, you will have problems with as well as Democrats will have problems with. So the, the idea here is we need to uh, remind our elected officials through the ballot process and, you know, by, by removing them from office, if necessary, through our votes uh, and make sure that we are getting the government that we want in place. You know, as, as I've said many times, 
they work for us. It's not the other way around, you know. And you know, one of the things, and I'll touch on it quickly, but I'm going to uh, address it more in you know the next podcast is this this notion of the actions of certain senators uh, like Joe Manchin, like Kristen Cinema, who you know are are Democrats by uh, registration, but seem more akin in their voting policy and, and strategies to Republicans. Uh, we are going to need to look seriously at uh, what you know the the pain might be in you know voting them out of office, even in the fact that you know like Joe Manchin is in a red state. Uh, so you know we might have to take some pain. The other thing we need to consider, and we're going to talk about this as part of our regular lineup on this podcast going forward through the elections all the way to 2024, is uh, a, another set of numbers besides the COVID numbers I give you at the start of the show. I'm going to give you these numbers. You're going to hear it again and again and again, and we need to make this a clear and definite goal of you know, the, the non-Republican voters in this country. Those numbers are 62, 219, and 26. Those numbers, 62, that is the number for a majority in the Senate. 219, that is the number for a majority in the House of Representatives. 26, that is a number for a majority of states in this country. We need to be working toward, you know, by 2004 to have 62 Democratic senators or non-Republican senators, I, I would say better, um, 219 non-Republican members of the House of Representatives and 26 states that are not controlled by Republicans in this country. Those numbers would give, uh, give us the ability to undo or block or keep from coming to votes much of this legislation that is going to create so much pain in this country. Uh, this is something we are going to have to take up. It is going to become a call to action that I am going to be making uh, from this show every podcast. We're going to be talking about 26, uh, 62, 219. All right. Think of it as the combination to the Republican lockbox. All right. So we will uh, keep you posted on that. And uh, we're going to move on to the next subject that I want to talk about. But before I get to that, I want to take just a minute and correct a grievous uh, oversight on my part. And that is I want to give a shout out to our partner, our friends over at Mintwave Radio. Uh, and uh, thank them for their efforts in carrying the shows here from WJMS, uh, not just my show, but according to RP and uh, Sound Off uh, each week. Uh, Frazier and team uh, have been, you know, stalwart uh, partners with us and, and carry our, our programs. And I encourage you to go check them out at mintwaveradio.com and uh, listen to the content they have that comes out of the UK. Uh, it is you know, always uh, insightful, interesting, and worth a listen. So, Frazier, uh, to you and your team, thank you so much for being you know, friends with us and partners with us. Uh, I appreciate uh, carrying, you're carrying uh, my show as well as the other WJMS media shows on your platform. So, all right, that being said, um, the next story I want to talk about or the next issue that I want to bring up and kind of speaks to the the real purpose of what Fired Up is all about. As I say, it's about the mechanics of the political system. And one of the things that uh, you may have noticed, especially if you follow the legislation coming out of the states in this country, is that a lot of them seem to sound and, and be consistent uh, with one another uh, across the, the spectrum of these uh, United States. And that is in part due to something called the Model Act. Now, you may or may not be familiar 
with uh, the, the so-called model act or uh, model law or a piece of model legislation. Um, but it, it is something that has played a big role in legislation in this country, uh, particularly at the state levels, uh, but also uh, to some extent at the federal level as well. And uh, to give you a definition, uh, a model act, also called model law or a piece of model legislation, is a suggested example of a law drafted centrally to be disseminated and suggested for enactment in multiple independent legislatures. Uh, the motivation classically has been the hope of fostering more legal uniformity among jurisdictions and better practice in legislative wording than would otherwise occur. Uh, another motivation sometimes has been lobbying disguised under such ideals. Uh, model laws can be intended to be enacted verbatim, to be enacted after minor modification, or to serve more as general guides for the legislatures. So what does that mean? Well, that means that there are organizations out there that write examples of legislation on a particular subject uh, whether it's education, uh, economics, um, you know, or, or anything. And they will uh, submit these out to state legislatures across the country. And the legislators will, will review this legislation. They may or may not make uh, changes to it, uh, whether it's to make it fit to what their uh, legislative agenda is. But, you know, typically... Uh, it is a basically it is a pre-cooked uh, piece of legislation that uh, in, in its worst case can be wholesale adopted by the state. Um, you know, and this can be uh, very uh, beneficial. Uh, writing legislation is something that is time consuming and uh, energy intensive. There's a lot of research that goes into it, a lot of law that needs to be studied in order to write a, a piece of legislation that aligns with what the law is in this country. Uh, and, you know, but for example, uh, because there are, are 50 semi-autonomous states, each with its own legislature and set of laws, avoid, avoidance of needless uh, variation is valuable, reserving variation only to essential autonomous differences. Uh, and this, this comes from the definition uh, that I found in Wikipedia. Uh, model laws referred to as model acts or model bills. Many American special interest groups draft model acts which they lobby lawmakers to pass. In particular, there are a couple that uh, are called out by name. Uh, the Conservative American Legislative Exchange Council, uh, ALEC or ALEC, has been has successfully gotten hundreds of model acts passed since 2010. Uniform acts are model acts intended to be enacted uh, exactly as written. They are drafted by the Uniform Law Commission, uh, a state-run nonprofit organization whose purpose is to draft laws in areas where uniformity is important, for example, to facilitate interstate commerce. Or as as we have seen in you know recent months, <clears throat> to uh, facilitate laws that deal with uh, such things as voter registration, uh, ballot box locations, uh, uh, certifying elections, uh, women's right to choose. Many of these laws uh, have uh, pieces of model legislation in embedded in them or you know running throughout them um, so you know again according to this article although model acts inherently can serve valid purposes such as for uniform justice with less capriciousness their distortion into disguised lobbying has been criticized american critics of such model laws have thus referred to them as copycat laws fill in the blank laws or copy and paste laws the concept caused some controversy in 2019, for example, when a coalition of 30 investigative journalists published a series called Copy, Paste, Legislate, investigating the corporate interests behind many model laws. So, you know, there you can and you can go research this. Um, 
If you uh, search on Model Act uh, from your search engine of choice, you will find many examples of these uh, listed there. So you know, it, it is something, it, it is a mechanism by which uh, legislation uh, is fast-tracked from concept to paper or electronic. Um, and it, it is something that uh, we have seen a lot of and we will likely see a lot more of. All right. Um, so there are a couple of uh, articles that I want to talk. And these are related to uh, the subject of abortion and also to the recent story about the 10-year-old uh, girl in uh, Ohio who had to go to uh, Indiana uh, because of the restrictions to abortions there and the fact that she had been uh, raped and was pre pregnant at the age of 10. Um, so in one, the, f the first one I want to mention, uh, and this article comes from alternet.com, uh, and it cites the Idaho GOP overwhelmingly rejects adding abortion exceptions to save the life of the mother to their platform. So, you know, this article talks about the fact that the Idaho Republican Party's delegates uh, this past Saturday, uh, and, and this article came out on the 17th, so this was on, I think it was probably the 15th of July, uh, convinced, I'm sorry, the Idaho Republican Party delegates on Saturday convened to finalize its platform and by a nearly three to one margin voted against granting exceptions to abortion to save the life of the mother. The tally was 412 to 164 and that's according to the Tennessee Hollers Ruth Brown who noted on Twitter. According to the Idaho Statesman's reporting, the, quote, the party supports the criminalization of all abortions within the state's jurisdiction and said Idaho's constitution should be amended to include a, quote, declaration of the right to life for preborn children. Uh, miscarriages were not criminalized under, under this law, however. Uh, the paper added that the platform also includes a new section saying the party believes parents, not the state, have a sacred duty and right to rear their children in the manner they see fit. It also said that the party believes a child's gender assigned at birth to be an essential characteristic of identity and purpose. So uh, to, to summarize, essentially, um, you know, the, the uh, agenda that is proposed by the Idaho GOP which the article uh, calls a regressive agenda, uh, doesn't end there. Another segment of the platform states, the delegation declared that it is, quote, the sovereign authority to defy the federal judiciary should they once again propose the fiction that abortion is a federal constitutional right. Um, you know, the, the article said, the party's embrace of originalist jurisprudence is no less extreme. The, the platform, and this is a quote, emphatically affirms that judges have to fully interpret statutory terms to mean what they conveyed to a reasonable uh, people at the time they were written, the statement explained. And this goes back to what is known as originalist uh, interpretation of the Constitution. Now, you know, uh, of course, we have to realize that the Constitution uh, was drafted and ratified uh, in, in and around 1787. Uh, and there were many things that exist today that were unheard of uh, back in those days. Um, but the, the originalists believe that those are the interpretations of the law that need to be followed. So they would, they would have things be unchanged from 240 whatever years ago, do the math, um, and and take in, take no account of things like um, you know high capacity uh, assault weapons, um, you know uh, abortions, slavery, you name it. 
uh, all of these things were uh, not included or not discussed in the original Constitution document uh, or were not addressed until much later in you know, related papers such as the Federalist Papers and you know, settled case law that has come down to today from that, that time you know, back in the 1700s. Um, the other thing and, and the final piece in this article and is that according to the Idaho GOP, the party proclaimed its support for a repeal of the 16th Amendment which codified Congress's power to levy income taxes. So, you know, the Idaho GOP wants to get rid of the legal responsibility for paying and collecting of income taxes. Now, there's, there's no discussion on, you know, where uh, the money to run the government and do all of the things that the government of the United States, as well as the government of the state of Idaho and other states, uh, where they are going to get the money from that. I don't know whose credit card they're going to use or what, but, you know, it, it's, it's something that I've noticed and something that I've commented on is these, these uh, radical, and, and, I, and I, I use radical with a small r, these radical legislative approaches seem to not take into account the consequences that could incur from their uh, implementation and execution. For example, if, let's just take it to the, to the extreme, if the collection of federal income tax in this country is, you know, essentially eliminated, where is the money going to come from for, you know, defense, for, you know, schools, for roads and bridges, for all of the things that the federal government pays for, for vaccines, for, you know, uh, medical care, Medicaid, Social Security, all of these things that are dependent on funding that comes out of the federal budget, which gets its money from the income taxes that you, I, and every other entity in this country pays. Uh, if that goes away, then, you know, other taxes would have to be raised uh, in its place. Now, do we go to, like, like many countries, uh, like Canada, like uh, European countries, do we go to um, what is known as a, a VAT or a um, GAT, VAT being uh, value-added tax, GAT being general, uh, general uh, application tax, which means that with some exceptions, uh, anything that is purchased or service uh, that is paid for has a tax added to it that goes to fund the government rather than an income tax. So, you know, the Idaho GOP, you know, again, is proposing to eliminate the income tax, uh, yet we don't see any information coming that says what they are going to replace that revenue uh, for the government with. So we will, we will keep an eye and see if we get an explanation. But uh, just wanted to let you know about that. All right. Um, as you're probably aware, if you've been following the, the mainstream media, uh, the, the talk has uh, centered around the 10-year-old uh, girl in Ohio who, uh, as a result of, uh, a rape by a family member uh, became pregnant and because she was three days beyond the six-week uh, cutoff point for being able to get an abortion in Ohio she had to go to Indiana in order to receive treatment. Uh, the National Right to Life uh, organization and their official um, has come out with a position that uh, that 10-year-old girl should have had the baby. Um, the article appeared, um, it came out on the 14th, and uh, this was covered uh, in several news media outlets. Uh, but the article uh, says, as I as quoted, uh, the 10-year-old Ohio girl who crossed state lines to receive an abortion in Indiana should have carried her pregnancy to term and would be required to do so 
under a model law written for state legislatures considering more restrictive abortion measures. And this is according to the General Counsel for the National Right to Life. Take note, model law. We just talked about that. Uh, Jim Bopp, an Indiana lawyer who authored the model legislation in advance of the Supreme Court's decision overturning Roe v. Wade, told Politico on Thursday that the law only provides exception when the pregnant person's life is in danger. She, uh, according to, uh, to Jim Bopp, quote, she would have had the baby, and as many women who have had babies as a result of rape, we would hope that she would understand the reason and ultimately the benefit of having the child. And he said this in a phone interview uh, last Thursday. Stepping out of the article for a minute, um, she's 10 years old, Jim Bopp. How is she going to understand the reason and the benefit of having a child? She is a child herself. All right, back to the article. The story of the 10-year-old rape victim forced to have to leave her home state to terminate a pregnancy has sparked a national conversation over the consequences of the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade and how far some states are willing to go to prohibit abortions. According to the Columbus Dispatch, uh, reporting on Wednesday, uh, a 27-year-old man was charged with rape in connection with the case, and in fact, he has confessed to that rape. While Bob's model legislation, which uh, was released in advance of the Supreme Court's ruling last month, encourages states to ban all abortions unless necessary to save the life of the pregnant person. It notes, quote, it may be necessary in certain states to have additional exceptions, such as for a woman pre uh, pregnant as a result of rape or incest. Uh, unless, and again, further quoting Mr. Bopp, Unless her life was at danger, there is no exception for rape. The bill does not propose exceptions for rape or incest in my model because that is a pro-life position, but it is not our ideal position. We don't think uh, as heart-wrenching as these circumstances are, we don't think we should devalue the life of the baby because of the sins of the father. So according to the article, um, and, and uh, he's quoted as saying, it is currently legal to have an abortion in Indiana up to 22 weeks of pregnancy, though the state legislature is expected to hold special session later this month to consider legislation that would ban abortion. Republican legislative leaders have not shared details of the bill they plan to introduce, though abortion rights proponents in the state are expecting the bill's text to hew closely to Bob's model legislation. Mr. Bob said he believes it is, quote, highly likely, close quote, that Indiana's legislature will pass a law during its special session that will provide uh, substantial protection to the unborn. What the exact details of that are, I don't know, Mr. Bob was quoted. So in, in, in Indiana, they are proposing a law that would protect an unborn child, uh, even if that means uh, sacrificing the life of the person carrying that pregnancy. Um, that, to me, seems a little draconian, but you know, this, is, this is the reality that we are living in a post-Roe world. Uh, this is what we as the voters need to be aware of as to what our legislature uh, is, is thinking. So you've got Idaho overwhelmingly rejects adding abortion exceptions to save the life of the mother uh, to their uh, party platform. And in, um, you know, in, in Ohio and Indiana, uh, there are laws that have been uh, compiled under these model act scenarios that you know are going to force uh, the carrying of a pregnancy even as a result of rape or incest uh, to term and also uh, sacrifice the life of the mother 
if for some reason that pregnancy should prove uh, harmful or fatal to the mother. And, you know, that, uh, while there's nothing in the article that talks about things like ectopic pregnancy or, you know, pregnancy in the fallopian tubes, which can be frequently fatal to, uh, to the pregnant person, um, you know, there, there doesn't appear to be, you know, exceptions built in. So there you have it. This is the, the reality that it, it looks like we are moving into, where the state is going to tell uh, women and, you know, all the way down to the age of 10, uh, what they can do in, in terms of how they handle a pregnancy, uh, whether it is, you know, accidental, uh, intentional, rape, incest, whatever. Um, you know, a, a 10-year-old girl is going to be told that she needs to understand and accept the responsibilities that being a parent will entail, where she is still at a stage where she relies on her parents for you know her her daily uh, needs of living, and you know this this is something that Republican or Democrat, you I find it hard to believe that we would consider this in 2022 to be an acceptable course of action uh, in regard to a 10-year-old girl. Uh, being forced to carry a pregnancy to term, never mind the fact that you know it may be medically difficult at best for a 10-year-old uh, female to be pregnant, to carry a pregnancy to term. You know, there, there may still be developmental issues in, in terms of her physiology that would make uh, you know, a, a, a pregnancy perhaps a life-threatening event. Uh, it remains to be seen how this is all going to play out. However, uh, I don't think we need to wait to hear that to begin making our voices heard to our elected officials. Uh, we need to be addressing this at the local, state, and federal level uh, in mass, in voices, uh, in emails, in phone calls, in letters, and so forth. Um, you know, and, and I say this as a father of daughters and a grandfather of granddaughters. Uh, the, the notion that, you know, one of my granddaughters uh, could be, you know, subjected to that scenario is just something that I, I just can't fathom and I can't understand. So, you know, let's have that conversation. Uh, let's make sure that our legislators hear from us. And we let them know uh, what's right, what's wrong, and where that line is. All right. So this has been a packed show. Um, sorry if it's been a little bit ranty, but there was a lot of stuff to get through and a lot of things uh, for us to discuss. If you would like to express your opinion, please send an email to the show at uh, firedupradio at yahoo.com. And, of course, you can find this podcast and all of my podcasts as well as all of WJMS's shows uh, at our uh, station. It's WJMSradio.com is the website. But our podcasts are on Google Podcasts. You can find them on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Uh, go, to the, go to the source of, source of your choice and uh, just enter WJMS or enter Fired Up or one of our shows and you'll have access to our library of past episodes even going back into the radio realm uh, when we were WJMS Radio. As always, thank you so much for listening. Again, if you'd like to send comments to the show, I would gladly love to, uh, to read them and you know, bring them to the show and we can talk about them. This is Steve. We will see you again when I drop the next podcast a week from today. So in the meantime, please stay safe. Don't forget that BA5 variant of COVID. Get yourself vaccinated or boosted if you haven't already. And stay safe. And I look forward to bringing another podcast your way in seven days. Take good care, everybody. Bye-bye.